no idea why this wasn't working. I've been having great success with the new OS X, but this just seemed like a total fail. Kernel extensions, man. Kernel extensions. Curious. Which which version of OS X are you on right now? I am on Yosemite. That's the that's the official Yosemite. latest, right? Yes, I have not upgraded to Snowsemite. Snowsemite? I believe you're thinking of El Capitan. Yes, I am thinking of El Capitan. Okay. But I felt like saying Snow Semity. Well, because, you know, I, I could. I don't really have any room to talk. When I first saw the name Yosemite, I was watching a live blog at the... the I don't know, where did they announce those things? Keynotes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for some reason, mm-hmm. I exclaimed Yosemite. Yosemite. <laughs> Yosemite. Yeah. See, the problem is, as soon as I saw it, I pictured the Yosemite Sam from the Looney Tunes cartoons. See, I never watched that, so I, um, for some reason, the word the, the word Yosemite was not in my brain. <laughs> yes, Yosemite Sam. You should you you should definitely watch the Looney Tunes. You would enjoy them. They're what? they're so not for children really? at all. So I just I always no. picture that they were just stupid cartoons. Oh no! There's so much more layering and and just nuance and social commentary and all sorts of stuff going on up in the Looney Tunes. Fascinating! I never would have guessed mm-hmm. that. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot to it. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I watched most of them when I was you know older uh, versus you know <laughs> I was like actually watching them as you know a small child. I was going to say how much like social commentary were you pulling out at the age of five? <laughs> yes, exactly. Apparently, more than I was. I was, yeah. I was just enthralled with Rocco's Modern Life and Ren and Stimpy and Catdog. <laughs> now, see, that's a here's a question for you: the the shows that you enjoyed as a child. When you go back to them, do you enjoy them simply out of nostalgia, or do you discover additional layers or additional, you know? value that the that the show or, or movie has I, that you didn't realize upon first viewing? That's a difficult question because I don't really go back to shows that I grew up with that often. Mm-hmm. Um, so my childhood was kind of bifurcated between normal kid stuff like Rockets Modern Life, which is probably my favorite cartoon as a kid. But then most of my TV viewing was just in on like the History Channel and watching things like Modern Marvels. So I, mm-hmm. I go back and watch that stuff, and it's super interesting because it's just genuinely super interesting. Um, the occasional time when I'll go back and watch an old cartoon, I think it's mainly just nostalgia, but it is just an enjoyable show as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What about you? Um, I think there's I think there's some things that uh, what's interesting is I find I don't go back and watch necessarily shows that I watched as a kid. But I usually go back and watch things that I never got around to, but remember existing when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Things that it's like, okay, you know, like the that TV show was happening, but I never watched it. I, you know, I'm watching it now. And I, I think because of that, you know, some things obviously like hold up really well. And then other things are really, really cheesy. Um, are you talking things a, that like you weren't ready for as a kid when they were, when they were on TV and now you're going back and watching them? Um, that's part of it. Uh, one example of that would be like the West Wing, uh, TV show. I, I very vividly remember that being, uh, you know, around a thing when I was, when I was younger. Um, my parents really enjoyed the show, but 
it was completely lost on me. Mm-hmm. I, I remember at least one episode pretty pretty well because there were two uh, Native American characters in the in the episode. I don't know why I remember them so well, um, but I remember watching that episode and completely just none of the plot, the the characters, the dialogue, all the things that I love about the show now had absolutely no meaning to me as a child. I thought it was the most boring show in the world um, and had no interest in it at the time. But coming back to it now as as an adult, I, it's one of my favorite TV shows. I think it's fantastic uh, start to finish. Really, really interesting. Um, so so in the, there is some stuff like that. But I, I was thinking more things that were designed for kids, you know, were kids' shows, but I just never got around to watching them. Um because I was watching other things or whatever. Um, like, uh, there was, uh, I, I went on a, on a run where I kind of like went back through and watched a bunch of different, uh, superhero animated cartoon shows from, you know, like the early, you know, late nineties with, you know, like Batman, the animated series, and then all the way through to, you know, some modern stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could, I could talk a bunch about all sorts of pros and cons and interesting things to those shows. And, series that were good and series that were, were not. Um, but there was, there was one, for instance, was the, uh, the cartoon, the Batman, because yes, there's been like 37 different Batman cartoon shows over the years. But I remember the Batman because I remember seeing toys and lunchboxes and t-shirts and sneakers and like every kind of merchandise you could imagine with, that particular style animation, you know, that particular drawing character version of the Batman uh, and no. the Penguin and Catwoman and all the different, you know, all the different characters from the show. I remember seeing that all over the place when I was younger. Now, is this the Batman animated series with Luke Skywalker in it? This was not. This was the one that came after that. Now, I would argue that the Batman animated series with Luke Skywalker in it, um, wherein Luke Skywalker plays the Joker. Um, just, you know, just meditate on that for a second. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I, I would argue that that is one of the best cartoon animated superhero TV shows of all time. It's fantastic. Um, this was the one that kind of tried to... that came later and had that to live up to, which... I kind of feel bad for them because, you know, already that's, you know, you got giant shoes to fill. Um, And they didn't try to be Batman the Animated Series. They tried to do something a little different. Um, In the Batman uh, cartoon series, Batman's younger. He's new to being Batman. He's kind of making some mistakes early on. You're kind of getting it from a different perspective versus Batman the Animated Series. The show opens and he's, he's Batman. He's, you know, he's awesome and you know got all this stuff down pat um so they were taking more of the time period where like batman begins is happening right exactly uh the the series kind of opens where he's you know he's relatively new to being the batman gotham city's not quite sure what to make of the batman uh, they're not sure if he's friend or foe or what's going on. New villains are are cropping up. So so some of the same sort of uh, sort of things that like Christopher Nolan's uh, trilogy touched on, especially Batman Begins and the beginning of uh, the Dark Knight, where you know Batman's trying to get comfortable being being Batman. Um, it's it's an interesting show. I personally really enjoyed it because there was some of that nostalgia, even though it wasn't a show that I watched growing up. I remember 
seeing all of those characters in other forms um, when I was growing up. And so they had more of a connection to me. Whereas I always knew like Batman, the animated series, the original um, was something that was, you know, a little older, or just, you know, a little bit before my time kind of thing. So when I approached that, I didn't have the same sort of nostalgic feelings for it. Hmm. I've never really thought of nostalgia as something that you could feel towards something that you'd never had experienced before. Yeah. It almost feels like tangential nostalgia because I never saw the TV show, but I recognize that character. Um, you know, I recognize that drawing, mm-hmm. basically, that style of animation. It's like, oh, hey, I remember, you know, lunchboxes with that or T-shirts or, you know, posters and all sorts of things. Um, but never the actual source material. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting, especially when you talk about just the the pervasiveness of some of these things when it comes to media and marketing and attempts to make it into pop culture and, and all sorts of things. Um, it's, it's interesting. It'd be extremely effective to the point where, you know, I never saw the TV show, but I still have nostalgic feelings for this property because I saw everything else outside of it. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, as a whole, I pretty much just don't do that at all for anything. Um, part mm-hmm. of that is probably because like before the age of 15, I really don't remember anything. Um, which is, <laughs> That's right. You were born an old man. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was born an old man. I just honestly remember almost nothing from my childhood for some reason. Um, I have no idea like what the, what the chemical reason for that is. Um, so when I go back and like watch old cartoons, I think, Hey, this is an old cartoon, but I have almost no connection to it. Um, Besides, like, occasionally remembering that, oh, I, like, yeah, I probably watched the show as a kid, or in in the case of a few cartoons, like, remembering actually watching it, but not really remembering the specifics of it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I almost never go back. I almost never go back and watch things that were actually meant for a kid as I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I take the other route of, like, going back and watching shows that were targeted towards adults, at the time when I was growing up. So like right now, um, my roommate and I were going back and watching all of Seinfeld in order, which, Oh, nice. Yeah. It, I mean, there, there's another reason for that beyond nostalgia because when I was growing up, I didn't live in New York, of course. And now I do live in New York, which is where Seinfeld takes place. And mm-hmm. to anyone who's never lived in New York, they won't understand this. But once you've lived in New York and you start watching Seinfeld, it, the show just makes so much more sense. Like mm-hmm. it, it's funny without that shared experience, but once you actually live here and you have the shared experience, there's just a whole other layer of jokes and references that you get that just makes the show so much better. So I, I didn't really absolutely, understand absolutely. that when I was a kid. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Seinfeld was one of those shows that my father found hilarious and my mother did not. Mm-hmm. So it was never on... Uh, in our house very much, but it was definitely something that, you know, I, w- I was also aware of growing up. And, and since getting married, um, my wife and I have started watching Seinfeld on, you know, reruns. We catch it on TV. We aren't doing anything, you know, systematic or organized, but um, <laughs> we really enjoy the show. And it's funny because what you're saying about how living in New York versus not living in New York, um, I laugh at things and, and find certain, you know, get certain jokes that she totally misses. Mm-hmm. from even my brief time 
living in, in the city versus, you know, her never having lived in the city. And it's really funny how that works. Yeah, I feel like the perfect example of that is the episode where George and some random person are fighting over a parking space for the entire episode. Because yes. George had started to uh, back into a parallel parking spot and somebody else had nosed in and tried to, <laughs> to nab it from him. And so the entire episode that just evolves into a standoff, like, like completely blocks traffic on the street. <laughs> Which, I, as a kid, I don't think I would find that funny at all. I think I would just find it, like, stupid um, at the idiocracy of these people. But now that I live here and I see that kind of thing happening all the time, like, I, I just saw that exact same situation happen in the Bronx yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and that, that I think is really the beauty of Seinfeld because, you know, it's always, you know, pitched or, or, you know, summarized as, Oh, it's a show about nothing. You know, it's the show about their lives. I mean, no, even it, to the point where it's it a becomes show. like a meta joke. Yeah, it's a show about show. all of the stupid things that New Yorkers do and the stupid things that happen when you have 9 million people crammed into this tiny of an area. <laughs> exactly. There's a tremendous amount of really funny, and just, you know, ridiculous things that happen over a course of normal life when you're living in that place. I mean, I think one of my favorite episodes is where the entire episode is spent standing at the entrance to a Chinese restaurant while they're waiting to get in. Because <laughs> it literally would take you like 20 to 30 minutes to, to you know, get into a restaurant sometimes. And it's, so and they it's just great. shot like, it in real time. Is in, yeah, the whole thing's basically in real time. And they're watching... You know, during that episode, George is trying to get on the phone, the payphone, to, to call someone. And he's, you know, he keeps getting interrupted or someone else beats him to the phone each time. And this happens multiple times during the episode. And, and they're, they're waiting. And, you know, every time they go up to the, to the maitre d', you know, he, he tells them, oh, you know, you're next. You know, it'll be fine. But they watch like three, four, five different people get seated before them. And, you know, one person totally really frustrated. Here. One person with, yeah, exactly. It's this sort of thing where you're like, yeah. I've absolutely been in that situation. I've been in that restaurant. <laughs> it's like, but but to try and explain it to someone, you're like, oh yeah. So this episode, they sit uh, in the entrance to a restaurant and they wait to get seated. You're <laughs> like, that, that's it? Like, the, yeah, yeah. But, but but funny things happen, and it's it, it ends up being very difficult to explain and kind of the perfect thing for a TV show for a visual medium. Yeah, I, I love just as a whole TV shows that are shot in real time. It just it seems like a really interesting use of the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had something I was going to th something I was thinking of. <laughs> well, it's gone. My brain is a bag of cats. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask, kind of talking about um, nostalgia, things that you know that you remember from growing up or don't remember from growing up. Oh, I remember now. And <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I was watching this episode, and it completely blew my mind because I mean, you and I are both kids of the late 80s, early 90s. Um, mm -hmm. And so we never, we basically never experienced an adult world without cell phones, right? It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so there was an episode of Seinfeld that I was watching a few weeks ago where the entire episode is George and Elaine and... Kramer and uh, Jerry, all at different movie theaters because they were confused as to which one they had arranged to going to. And it just ends up in like a rotating ring of everyone going to the movie theater that the last person just left looking for <laughs> each other. <laughs> and like trying to sneak into the theater to see if they're already in there and <laughs> what's happening. 
So it, it just completely blew my mind because I had never thought about like the logistics of trying to organize something like that in the city in a world without cell phones. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we've gotten to this place where by having a cell phone and even more so now by having a smartphone, you can get the location of whoever you're trying to meet with on demand almost, you know, to a certain point or at the very least request it. You know, you can you can find where a person is or get in touch with a person uh, instantly all the time. Right. And, and, that, and that's true of anyone. I mean, even before that, you can just call the person and ask where they are. But in a world yeah. where you don't have that ability and you're relying on pay phones, like, you have to like literally take a cab and see if they're at this place and then move on to the next one. It's so funny because I, I struggle to even think about doing that. Yeah, you I know, can't in my imagine mind, I, I, ever going yeah, out. I, no, exactly. I would just give up. I'd be like, okay, if I didn't see you or meet up with you at a particular time, we're, we obviously can no longer hang out today because... I'm never going to find you. It's nope. New York City. Like, no, nope, I'm just gonna, gonna I'm happen. just gonna go to a Japanese restaurant, have dinner, and then go home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and I wonder if, you know, in a situation like that, maybe you would in a in a world like that, maybe you're more inclined then to strike up a conversation with a total stranger at the restaurant or the bar or wherever you go because you didn't get to meet up with the person you wanted to, but you still wanted to spend time with another human being. And okay, you know, this random person's here, so I guess I'll I'll try talking to them. Whereas today I have little to no desire whatsoever to ever strike up a conversation with a random person at a restaurant or a bar or anything. If I'm there, I'm there with people I know already or people I've set out to meet there. I'm, I'm not going there looking for serendipity. Uh, if, I, if I'm there alone, I want to be alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I would have to be a very different person to strike up conversations with random people at movie theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just a side effect of the world I grew up in, but I, I don't know if even having a cell phone would actually convince me to do that, or if I would just be more of a weird loner than I already am. <laughs> exactly. You'd be the one random people would be trying to strike up a conversation with and giving very strange, cryptic responses. No, no one would try to talk to me. <laughs> no one, Oh, you, you'd be just straight up shields up the whole time. Well, regardless of what I do, I'm the weird, like, homeless person. <laughs> That's fair. I would, I would be the person like that everyone would think like needs helped out. I'm like, no, no, I have a job. I'm completely fine. Well, are you sure? Do you need a place to stay tonight? Like, <laughs> exactly. No, no. Clearly, son. You know, here, t- just, just, just take this yeah. five dollar bill. You know? uh, yeah, and your beard. Buy yourself something nice. Your beard says you need it. No, I'm fine. Really. <laughs> exactly. Uh. <laughs> And a cat has just appeared out of nowhere from within my office. Really? Do you, do you have a cat? I did not know. Oh, yeah, we, we do have a cat. Um, we, we moved into a bigger place, which I, I suppose we can talk about that. Um, moving, because I've moved, you've moved. <laughs> yes, both of us have done this thing recently. To different yes, places, from different places. Yeah, so I, I, I suppose we can talk about that. But I guess I'll just get started by saying we do have a very small cat. Um, and we used to have a very small apartment and some would actually call really, it a kitten perhaps. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's almost two years old, but you know, he still looks kitten sized. Hmm. Uh, he was the runt of his, of his litter. Um, but in our previous very small home, 
he was relatively easy to find because, you know, there were only, we, our previous apartment was a studio that was less than 300 square feet. Mm -hmm. So you could basically, you know, there was a finite number of places the cat could, could be. And if you checked all of them within, you know, 60 seconds, you would find him. Whereas this new place has many new nooks and crannies and is much larger. And so... He can just disappear for, for like, days, it seems like. <laughs> yes, he has a plethora of cat-sized nooks now. <laughs> exactly. And the fact that we're still, you know, unpacking boxes and stuff is still relatively a mess just increases the number of cat-sized locations he can he can find. So I had no idea he was even in here. And then he just kind of appeared and, and started purring nice. in my face. I was, I was helping my brother move probably 10 years ago now uh, from like a pretty large house that he had to a smaller apartment closer to the city he lived at. And he had a cat, but none of us were really paying attention to the cat. We were just focusing on moving because that's how moving goes. Mm-hmm. So we throw a bunch of boxes into this U-Haul and close it up and drive to his new apartment, open the U-Haul and a very, very angry cat escapes. <laughs> like, what were you even doing in there? Like, oh, yeah. How did you get in there? The and are you going to let me live now that you're out? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, uh, our, our cat's been extremely bitter at the change in, in his surroundings. He, he likes the fact that he has more space. Now, we can definitely tell that. He very, you know, mm-hmm. gleefully sprints down our hallway and stuff like that. But also, he's just very bitter at, about the fact that, you know, we, we are still in an apartment. So there's, you know, neighbors and they're making noise. And, well, he's going to have none of that because apparently our cat is also part dog. So he growls at the neighbors like like a dog. He'll stand at the door and growl. I don't – he's like the smallest cat in the world, but he's growling. I don't so he has like a Napoleon complex. Yeah, basically. That's you know, he's he's gonna he's gonna give him what for all the random neighbors, and whatnot. <laughs> so where do you live now? Yeah, so um, my wife and I moved from uh, you know section of rural Pennsylvania, um, and we're in another basically still section of rural Pennsylvania. But we moved to the city of Scranton, Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of Dunder Mifflin. Um, there's there's it's, no it's way you can get away from that joke now, is there? No, no, of course not. And you know, it, it's the sort of thing you got to steer into the skid. You just kind of got to own it, you know. Yeah, you you um, made the joke before I could. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, Scranton, home of Dunder Mifflin. Um, it's it's an interesting little town. Um, we we like it so far. We've been here about a month. Um, but along with the new location, you know, we have a new apartment. I have a new job. Lots of new things happening. As uh, summer winds to a close here. So what in the world is Scranton like? Um, it's interesting because it's far enough to the east that it doesn't have anyone here who's from or commutes to New York. Which is very different from the area where we came from. You know, the, the town I was raised in is an hour and a half, you know, a little over an hour and a half from New York City. And we're really close to Interstate 80, so we had basically my entire life growing up, we had people moving from the city to our area and then commuting back to the city for work. It was a huge, huge housing boom, and just the the whole area kind of exploded with people moving in from the city. Um, And it definitely affected the feel of that place. Um, it, It definitely got a strong New York, New Jersey kind of vibe to it. 
Um, but Scranton doesn't have any of that because it's just far enough away that it never really got affected by that. And it was kind of, oh, well, it's its own city, so, you know, it's going to do its own thing. And you don't really, you know, no one feels the need to travel from here to another bigger city for work mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, what kind of delta honestly, in distance from New York are we talking? It's a, it's a kind of, I guess, outside the two. It's still only about two hours away from New York. It's only about maybe two to two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like that inside two hours where we used to live, that that was still within the the range where we had a lot of people from New York, a lot of commuters into New York. And now that we've crossed that line and we're, we're over two hours, even though it's just slightly, um, all that's disappeared. Yeah. Um, the whole the whole area reminds me more of um, upstate New York, uh, places like, you know, Syracuse or um, outside of Albany, you know, just, just those kinds of things. The area looks like that. There's a lot of rolling hills and, you know, nice, you know, pretty scenery and, you know, people don't seem like they're from the city and hmm. it's, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, I guess with any two, like, relatively proximate cities, you have kind of like an L1 gateway where the gravity just shifts towards the other city and people stop going to the other one. But Exactly. Well, and, and that's also the kind of the weird part about the area is we where we used to live, it was, you know, only about an hour or hour and a half away from, from Scranton, but no one from our area really ever went up to Scranton. We all went down to the Lehigh Valley area. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were much more familiar with, you know, Allentown and Easton and towns like that. Um, and just, just everybody went south. Nobody went, you know, up towards Scranton. Yeah, it's just the laws of like municipal orbital mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really funny. It's like we've somehow entered into this whole other world that was still relatively close by, but full of people and places and things that we know nothing about. <laughs> it's hmm. it's very interesting. So why didn't you just come back to New York? Um, New York is far too big a city for me. Or my wife to live in comfortably. Um, when uh, when we came in and, and, and helped you with your move to, where are you? You're in Jersey now, right? Oh heck no! <laughs> no, I live in Staten Island. See, now. I said that, ladies and gentlemen, knowing that he's in Staten Island, which many would say is effectively New Jersey. Well, there goes the fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go sometime. No, Staten, um, Staten Island is definitely not New Jersey. Because New Jersey, New Jersey is yes. awful. Well, that we can agree on. That's Stat- for sure. Staten Island is closer to awful than where I was before, but it's still New York. <laughs> I can I, gotcha. I can still be in Manhattan relatively quickly and inexpensively. Yes, it's it's you know it's it, you're you're heading swiftly towards Jersey. You know you're 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 going downhill, but you're still you're not at Jersey level. You're you're still you know on on you know. Maybe you're on par with Long Island, I, w- I would argue. Well, I mean, it, it, Long Island is a completely meaningless term because I lived on Long Island before, <laughs> as did you. Long Island is an island that doesn't actually mean what people long. think it means. It, that's also All true. of Brooklyn and all of Queens is part of Long Island. I lived in the heart of Brooklyn before, which is part of Long Island. <laughs> this is true. And, and as a geography nerd, I, you know, I will not argue this point with you. Yeah. That, is, that is quite valid. The, the issue comes um, up when people say they're from Long Island, it means they're not from Brooklyn and Queens, which I, right. I don't understand where that comes from. I guess it comes from a need to differentiate themselves from the five boroughs. But. 
Yeah, I guess so. I, I feel like what we really need to do is come up with like a better name for the place, you know, because once you get far enough out on Long Island, you you have the Hamptons, which they get their own name because they're fancy and rich. Yeah, but and no, then one, no you one get wants to the say they're you have Montauk. No one wants to say they're from the Hamptons, though. That has huge stigma. A certain a certain person wants to say they're from the Hamptons, mm. but. Only the people no who aren't that. from the Hamptons want to say they're from the Hamptons. <laughs> Anyone who's That's actually from true. the Hamptons just says they're from Long Island. Yeah, I would argue, is anyone actually from the Hamptons? I, I don't know if anyone is. I'm pretty sure you just, you know, eventually get to, like, a wealthy enough station in life and, you know, ta-da, you're now from, <laughs> you're now from the Hamptons. You, you know, just... You've, you've crossed you the salary threshold you. of having children? Like... <laughs> Something I don't know. You like you meet a certain number of qualifications and conditions, and you automatically have a house in the East Hampton. You know, I just I feel like that that must happen. I mean, I have no no idea the mechanics of this. No, I don't. Nor will I probably ever. I don't know if it it's an automatic like thing. Because sort of you don't think it's automatic? I don't think it's automatic. There's an awful lot of super. Obviously, there's an awful lot of super wealthy people in Manhattan, and not all of them have places in the Hamptons. So you think it's more like an application process? I think it's just a way of life. There, there's New York, there's New Yorkers, and there's people who aren't New Yorkers. <laughs> Where's my bell? <laughs> well, this is, this yes. is the same way that I call people from uh, Yonkers upstate. Yes. Well, yeah, that. They deserve that. No, I mean, it, you're clearly upstate of where I currently am, therefore you're upstate. Well, yes, absolutely. Well, because that's the great thing about upstate New York is upstate New York is a relative place. Yeah. It's not a place. It's all relative based on where you're at. Yes, I think the only people who don't get to use upstate New York are people from Plattsburgh. Because when they say upstate, they, they mean like Montreal. Well, they, they can use it when they're saying any more upstate. They can use it when they're saying that they live in upstate New York because they do. Yes, they, however, cannot refer to anyone else as saying, "Oh, you're from upstate," because that's it. You hit, you hit the end. Yeah, that's the end of the state. It's, no, north of you are Frenchmen. Yeah, that's just it. It's just a bunch of Quebecois above that. <laughs> <laughs> I just the poutine. Yeah, no, oh, poutine is good. I miss poutine. Good poutine is good, but I suppose you know that's. Have you have you I, had not good poutine? I have, I have had not good poutine. What is a not good poutine like? Well, you know, to be fair, I was probably setting myself up for disaster in the location where I got it. Did you get? I, a, I don't remember the name of this place. Did you get poutine in Mexico? I did not get poutine. In, yes, when I was in Nicaragua, I got poutine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it's true. That and the sushi were just horrible ideas. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like going to come back and speaking Dutch. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're just you're just asking for it at that point. No, no, no. When when uh, I went to Quebec City, um, I got I got poutine at what basically uh, was a fast food restaurant. I don't remember the name of it. It was some fast food restaurant. So like they a, were like a Tim Hortons ish. It wasn't Tim Hortons. It was another one. Shay Andre. Shay Anthony, Shay somebody. Of course it's Shay. <laughs> of course it was Shay. It was house of someone. Yeah. So at someone's house that was actually a fast food restaurant, I got poutine and it was it was categorically awful. Um, what was wrong with it? Because I mean, I just I honestly I don't know what you can do to mix to mess up like French fries with stuff on it. So here's the problem. Fundamentally, they they blew it at each level because 
when we're talking about poutine, we're talking about three ingredients here. We're talking about French fries, we're talking about brown gravy, and we're talking about cheese curds. That, that's it. Yeah, squeaky it's, cheese. It's, it's really quite simple. And yet, this place, the French fries were awful and already soggy. Um, which soggy French fries, I mean, okay, you're pouring gravy over them. So we know at a certain point, these French fries will become soggy. Yeah, but they need to have some life to them to begin with. Right. They had no life to begin with. They were pre-soggy. Uh, the gravy was possibly some of the worst brown gravy I've ever had in my life. I just, ugh, it was just, it was so bad. It was so bad. You just, it was probably 75% chemical something. What did it taste like? Not beef gravy. <laughs> well, I mean, brown gravy doesn't have to taste like beef. It just it's brown gravy flavor. It's its own thing. But it is its own thing. But the problem is, this was like there are so, so many chemicals have entered the 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 equation and the process here. I'm now starting to imagine this must be what dog food tastes like. That's the kind of gravy that that we're talking about. Here. Yeah. And to top it off, to top it off, we've got the cheese curds. Which, which cheese curds, when done right, are, are delicious little, not exactly cheese, but, you know, the cheese curds are their own kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, these tasted like an eraser. <laughs> it was just, and that's what I mean, where fundamentally, you had three things to do, and you managed to mess up all three of them. Yeah. And I was very, I was very disappointed, and... And this was the first time I had tried poutine, and I was in Quebec. And I mean, granted, again, I, I said it was a fast. It was someone's house that was a fast food restaurant, and I suppose I should have realized that that was going to be be a mistake. But still, I was I was sorely disappointed by by my my French Canadian poutine experience. Yeah, it, well, I mean, poutine isn't necessarily even a French Canadian thing, is it? Is, is it just Canadian? I think it is. I think it is just Canadian. Yeah, I don't think that it's a Quebecois thing because I've had it in Ontario, and I don't remember thinking that it was out of place there. Um, yeah, I, I think all of Canada, you know, lays lays claim to the poutine. Um, it feels like it's a French word, though. Sounds French. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to even Google it right now, but <laughs> I will look up the answer and put it in show notes. <laughs> mm. The show notes. We have those, don't we? Yeah. Uh, I have them when I actually feel the need to write them. Which has been one time so far. <laughs> so, anyway, I don't even know how we got talking about Shay, someone, and Poutine. I think we started at Jersey, and how I don't live there. <laughs> you don't live there. Yes. So, yeah, so I, I moved to Scranton, which is uh, vaguely upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Like, you moved to... I moved, Not New Jersey. I moved that, that to the islands, the South Islands <laughs> of Staten <laughs> the Island. South Islands, the South Islands of Manhattan. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some. It was completely harebrained uh, plan. I think it was in the New York Times, just writing about like the idiocracy of this idea. Somebody wanted to instead of dumping all of our garden garbage and fresh kills. I guess we don't do that anymore. We send our garbage somewhere else now. Um, but they they wanted to turn New- <laughs> an undisclosed location. I don't even know where we send New York's garbage anymore. I, I keep hearing rumors. Montreal. I keep hearing rumors of them like loading garbage barges up and then they're just roaming around the earth for years. 
I mean, that, that happened before fresh kills was a thing. They would load garbage onto barges and the barges would just like go from port to port trying to see who would take it. <laughs> and apparently it took quite some time to find a place that actually would. I love, you kind of feel so bad for that captain. Where he's pulling into port and you're like, hey, Please, guys. sir, will you take my junk? <laughs> How how you doing? You don't you don't you don't want U.S. garbage? No, I can't really blame you. Okay, I'll just I'll just see myself out. Yeah, <laughs> with my three thousand ton carrier. <laughs> exactly. Six days later, he's finally out of port. Yeah. No, those those cargo ships are actually like mad quick. I don't know how they do it, um, but apparently it all spawned from the. They had the city of New York had made some agreement with like Georgia or Louisiana or something to take our garbage. And when the first uh, cargo ship arrived, somebody like with binoculars spotting the garbage had noticed like needles in it, which implied <laughs> medical waste, which like entirely forfeited the entire contract. And so it, they wouldn't take it, and they had to like rove on to more ports and try and find some place. And I think it just ended up back in Staten Island. Look, I'm I'm just saying when we're talking about garbage from New York, I'm just gonna say that needles are probably the oh least yeah it's, of your concern. I mean, it's eighty percent needles and seventy five percent of those are heroin. <laughs> exactly. No, no, needles do not presume medical waste. Not not when we're talking about New York. <laughs> no, it Come presumes on. like household residential waste. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Clearly, clearly, we're talking about consumer needle usage. Yeah. So anyway, but, yeah, I'm living in Staten Island now. I wrote this whole blog post, like, reminiscing on how I'm going to miss Brooklyn. I don't know if you read that. Uh, it was super I over, didn't. It was super you overwritten. You updated your blog. Wow. Yes, I actually updated my blog. I think it was the second post of 2015. Um, Come on. I, I'm, I'm not going to be one to th- My cat is jumping on me right now. Dear Lord. How are you handling the cat dander? Um, it's, you know, it's, like, it's, has it's it gotten to the point yet? Thing. Has it gotten to the point yet where the toxoplasmosis is just taking over your brain into thinking it doesn't affect you? Um, I, I don't know. It's certainly possible. I mean, now that we're talking about toxoplasmosis, I feel like I need to bring up coffee mold and then we're just going to morph into Roderick on the line somehow. <laughs> but, um, he, my cat is staring at me right now. I, I don't know what, what he wants, but. He's looking into my soul. See, because um, apparently, I mean, apparently we're on the same basic track of housing because you just moved out of a 300-square-foot studio and I just moved into one. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like I should probably get a cat now. <laughs> you're staring You're staring two to three years into your future. Right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm sorry. Not just that, because <laughs> I live in a 300-square-foot studio and I work from my home office. I'm slowly just turning into a weird bearded hermit. Um, mm-hmm. So a cat could affect that one of two ways. I could become a crazy old cat man. Mm-hmm. Or I could possibly, like, become a slightly more normal person because I have another being to socialize with during the day. Um, I, I would say I would say no matter what, getting a cat is going to be a net win for you because, yes, you have the obvious benefits of another living thing with which you can have some interactions. And, and it is genuinely nice. I mean, especially mm-hmm. a cat, because they, you know, need next to nothing. You know, you, you set a couple of things up in your house, and then they do their thing, you do your thing. It's really like having a roommate. It, it really is. Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've seen uh, people say that, like, a cat's 
the cat's favorite thing is to have people around to ignore. Like, yes. And that's basically what I'm looking for. I just want another breathing thing in the same room as me. Well, yes. A, a cat is like getting a roommate, and, and, and a dog is like getting married. So I don't think you want a dog, but I think I think you're primed for a cat. And even if this all goes sideways and, you know, we're talking old, bearded, eccentric cat guy, that's a small market. Normally that's that's dominated by weird eccentric cat ladies. So I think you've I think you found yourself a niche either way. Possibly. But I am consumed concerned about the dander because my allergies are pretty hellish to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just allergic to everything outside, which is probably part of the reason I ended up being a web developer. Um, <laughs> the outdoors, they're attacking. Right, so I don't necessarily want to bring like the toxicity of the outdoors into my living space and make it worse. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think what you need to find is a is a cat rental program. And you're in, well, you're allegedly in New York, so I'm sure a cat rental program startup exists somewhere well, in, in New York. That's got to be a thing. Believe it or not, I've actually researched this before. Um, <laughs> so my friend Kevin and I, uh, Kevin and his now wife, former co-worker Ace, uh, and I are all good friends, and we were, all of us at the time didn't have cats, but we all wanted cats. So we were talking sure. about the possibility of starting some sort of like cat share program mm-hmm. where you would, uh, you would like place an order online and somebody would show up at your door with the cat of your choosing. Mm-hmm. You would get to, to have it at some sort of an hourly rate and then they would come and pick it up again. So it's Uber for cats. It's Uber for cats. Yeah. And so I, I did yeah. a little bit of research and found that unfortunately this doesn't exist yet. Um, mm-hmm. And then my friend pointed out that it was Basically, just like cat prostitution, um, <laughs> which I don't know how I feel about. <laughs> that that does take it into a very different place. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> it's obviously know, not as horrible of a thing. I'm just renting a cat, but <laughs> it's true. You're renting a cat. You know, it's it's just you know a cat for you know adorable cat like purposes. Yeah, you know, which nothing think- nefarious is going on here. I, you know, it's it's um, it's funny because I said that it's like Uber for cats, mostly because any startup must now be you know related to Uber it, in some way. It should just be X for Y. That's right, how every exactly. single startup pitches themselves now. In sure, and and I, and X, you know, will be the same for a couple of years. You know, like it used to be Twitter. Twitter for whatever was like every startup for like four or five years, and now I think that's Uber. Yeah, I'm. I'm on the weird side of the startup. I guess I'm not on the weird side of it, but I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm I'm not a gold rusher. I'm a shovel. <laughs> like, well, well like people, you're you're one of the old school uh, people who actually want a sustainable business rather than a you know slot machine. I'm not even really that. I mean, I'm I'm fairly young and I'm still interested in like potential investment opportunities. So I am somewhat of an entrepreneur in that way. Um, but people always liken the startup culture to the gold rush and they, so everyone throws around that, that old expression of, you know, the people who made money during the gold rush were the people selling shovels, which in my case, I am basically the shovel because everyone is building startups and the web technologies. And I am the kind of person who enables that to happen. So I am a shovel. Um, so I'm on that side of the whole startup world. And so I've gotten 
pitches from just dozens and dozens of startups describing themselves as we're Twitter for Y, we're Facebook for Z. And I just <laughs> continually have to go back to them and say, you know, what happens when Twitter starts doing Y? Because that's yeah. completely in their, in their right to do. And they're yeah, going to do meerkat. it better than you uh-huh. ever will. <laughs> you say meerkat? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm only vaguely aware of what meerkat is. What's meerkat? Well, meerkat was, and well, probably still is, but I'll just, you know, rest in peace, meerkat. You're dead. Um, <laughs> you mean, you mean like how uh, Flipboard was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, meerkat was an app that let you both create or view um, live streams on demand with your with your smartphone. Okay. So it's like, oh, hey, LTE's fast enough and iPhone cameras are good enough. It was one of those South Why by things, wasn't live it? Stream? Yeah. Well, and it was, it was the first uh, of its kind of debut. And then like a couple of weeks later, um, Twitter unveiled the version that they had acquired called Periscope. And now no one speaks of Meerkat. <laughs> anymore. But doesn't Snapchat do that same thing where you can like live stream? Probably. Um, I, I know next to nothing about Snapchat and it makes me feel unbearably old, but, um, <laughs> Snapchat is a genuinely good time. It's just reality. I, I believe you. I just, I, I just feel like a really old married guy when, whenever anyone's talking about Snapchat, your wife is because on Snapchat. I don't, okay, that's true. And, and yet still, I don't get it. I feel I feel wrong knowing that because she's my friend on Snapchat and you are not. <laughs> That's true. We need to have words. <laughs> uh, I don't think she has ever Snapchatted me anything, so that's probably, probably for the not. best. Yeah. Probably not. I know uh, another uh, friend that you and I have in common, uh, former roommate uh, for both of us. Basically, you can say his first name. You know, I can say his first name, um, William. So <laughs> <laughs> it is his first name. That <laughs> is his first name. Liam uh, basically Liam. Uh, Snapchats her whenever he's trying to Snapchat me because I don't I don't have an account. Like he he's he sent a bunch of extremely nerdy uh, snaps to her, and every time she's just like, "This must be for you," and it's you know like code compiling. See this or something. This is all the more reason why you should be on it because Liam is the last person in the world that who I would expect to actually enjoy a product like this. He is a total Luddite who. <laughs> I mean, it works with technology, but... <laughs> in- well, it's so funny, because he's, he's like a network sysadmin, but he's an extreme Luddite. <laughs> the, both of these things are I mean, true. He's just a tiny Wes. <laughs> 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 Which, Wes is a person only you can describe. But, um. I, he's, he is the epitome of the original... He is the original cowboy coder. I just he is. I mean, he's got the boots and the buckle and the attitude. He's and we never know what's in his office. Yeah, you never. You'll never know what's in his office. It's a TARDIS, basically. I, I swear to God, it's bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside, and and it's always different every time I go in. But it's also always a mess. So I don't. Wes is Wes is a legend. That's yeah. not all that can can really be said to describe Wes. We had we had one of those in the. My my old job, who every time I walked into, he had a cube. He didn't even have an office. But every time I walked into his cube, it was just amazing how much stuff was in there. Like, so he had his workstation with his like dual twenty two inch monitors and his Mac Mini with normal setup. All the developers had that. But then next to it was like a stack of ASP.NET books 
And then besides that, <laughs> used, was used for. I have no idea. They were like all the same book too. I don't know where he got them. <laughs> um, next to that was like a TV and some miscellaneous like robots that he had built with uh, Arduinos. And then there was a 3D printer in there. At one point, he actually 3D printed another 3D printer. Oh, and then, it, and then it gained sentience. I hope so. Um, that's, that's my concern about 3D printers. So once they can start 3D printing themselves, that, that's game over. Oh, yeah. It's, it's only three steps away from the Matrix. It's, so so when you were talking about building robots, all I can put out of Arduinos, all I can picture is using Arduinos to <laughs> turn those ASP.net books into robots, which just sounds terrifying. Well, I mean, it, there's clearly no nothing else you could be using them for. I think they were just building forts. Like... <laughs> That's all I ever used my ASP netbook for. I, Those things were monitor stands, man. Monitor stands. Yeah, there was a good six months where I used a stack of ASP books for monitor stands. I think we all have. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why they're printed. This, they're cheaper than monitor stands. I think they were actually cheaper than my boss's monitor stands, which were actually just reams of printer paper. <laughs> <laughs> just blank <laughs> printer paper. You know, if we if we write on this blank paper about ASP.net, it'll be worth even less. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. You can you can type and type and type and make it worth less. Uh, uh, ASP.net. I'm, I'm so fortunate that I've never once had to touch it. I had one job where the the infrastructure the the site was the, that we worked on was built with ASP.net and C sharp code. And at the time, I was working as a designer and front-end developer, and the one or two times they tried to get me to do anything server-side in C-sharp, I opened up the file, looked at it, went, nope, and uh, signed that task off to somebody else. I mean, and I, I got back to writing really bad JavaScript. I don't think it's fair to group C-sharp into the same book, because, I mean, C-sharp is a Microsoft product, so say what you will about that, but C-sharp is like a decent language. It's it's certainly better than ASP. That that's that yeah. that is true. Um, I, I can't I can't and deny that. But it, it it was one of those like I'm judging you guilty by association. I just can't I can't do it. Yeah, the um, fact that it's associated with Microsoft is certainly distasteful and like a an environment true. smell. Well, that's very true, and it's and it, that you know the associated with Microsoft that that has less to do with because either of us are Apple nerds, and mostly because we're both really Linux open source software Yeah, when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't think you could even call me an Apple nerd. No. I mean, I have a a couple of Apple shirts and an an Apple coffee cup and was formerly an Apple employee for a brief period of time. But, you know, other than that, no, I'm not an Apple nerd. Yeah. Because we we both use OS X workstations, but I spend the vast majority of my time just SSH'd into a Linux server and using that. Yep. Yep. Same here. Especially with, uh, with my new job. Um, most of, most of that, uh, that development work is all SSH'd into some various flavor of, of Linux. So you're, you are doing development now. Yeah, I am doing development. I guess we, we can talk a little bit about that. Cause I, I want to know what, what you're doing other than living in not New Jersey. Um, and, and, and in a small apartment. Um, I, I know your work situation has changed. I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what you're doing right now. Um, what am I doing right now? <laughs> so I don't want to... You're di- podcasting, right? I don't want to disclose clients because they're companies sure. who are paying me. Um, sure. Yeah, but I am 
I was formerly working full time on the same basic web products for the same people for the past four ish years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I decided to, to leave that. So I'm back into the world of contracting, which is basically what I did before I had a full time gig. Um, sure. working with better clients now though. So that's good. Um, that's always good. <laughs> yeah. And my rates have gone up significantly. <laughs> Also always good. Yes. I I need to come up with like a general rule for how much I raise my rates every year. I have trouble with that. Um, yeah, I, I have a really hard time with that as well. I'm, I'm known for just woefully underbidding, I do especially when it's, when it's a new client, uh, someone I have, you know, like no relationship with or, or I know like, boy, I really need this work, man. I just end up really shooting myself in the foot sometimes. It, it makes me really nervous whenever a client doesn't try and negotiate with me. Mm-hmm. Like I quoted somebody, I, I tend to work hourly. So I quoted somebody my hourly rate and like they handed me a contract without even batting an eye, which just immediately makes me think <laughs> that I didn't ask for enough. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the sort of thing where I, I had to get to the point with my rates where I said, okay, if, if I'm charging this, I will be happy with the income I'm making and the quality of life I can have. Yeah. Therefore which... I will quote a certain percentage above that. And I'm, see what happens. <laughs> I'm certainly at that point. Um, mm-hmm. I think that just within a few years, I'm going to try and get to the point where I am like visibly losing clients because of price and then try and regulate it there. Some Definitely. sort of market yeah. rate. Well, and, and I'm, and I talked to a, a friend of mine as well, who's, you know, in the same, same business we are, they, you know, he, he's part of a two man team that does, you know, web design development, kind of branding projects. They, they do a lot of different, you know, kind of comprehensive work versus, mm-hmm. you know, um, oh, we'll just do your site. You know, they're, they're a little bit more um, uh, all sorts of different things kind of, kind of thing, more, more cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, but he even said, like, that, that was the sort of thing where when the two of them started bidding on jobs, that was a big different, a big way they differentiated themselves from their competition was by charging an absorbently high rate in comparison <laughs> to the competition. Yeah, um, it, and it, and it was the sort of thing where it weeded out a lot of trouble clients, a lot of clients they wouldn't have wanted to work with in the first place, and got them the sort of client they were looking for because they looked at them and said, "Okay, why are you so much more expensive than everybody else?" I want to know because if it's for the reasons I think you're the people I want to go with. Yeah. Especially living in, in New York where price of living is just so ridiculously high. You have Mm -hmm. to, you have to do things like that because if you are going after the same clients that are just like looking to hire somebody on rent a coder, you're going to be competing against people in India where, yeah, they can charge a lot less money because that's what their market dictates and they have a way lower cost of living. But oh, yeah. when, you, when you're living here and your rent is just absorbent and your groceries are absorbent, <laughs> you have to like start and differentiate yourself based on price. And it, at least in my case, it's actually worked out pretty well. And then people are more interested the more I charge, which is for people who have never been in contracting work, that's something that doesn't really make sense. But somehow it's actually true. Yeah, it's a very scary thing because I know I, you know, I've I've previously been in the same position as you doing freelance contract, you know, mm-hmm. type work, and it and it is, it's very nerve wracking because 
on the one hand, you're like, you know, please, will someone just give me anything I need? I need to pay bills and I need to buy food. Um, but at the same time, you're like, but I know if I hold steady on this, it's going to work out well. It feels, it almost feels like a giant game of chicken and it's, it can be very stressful at times. Yeah. It's, it's that whole like fake it until you make it, um, Mm -hmm. saying it, at least until you get going, like, I'm at a fairly comfortable spot now where I'm like pretty used to the market because I've, I've excluding like the past couple of years, I've been doing contracting work for three years. Um, yeah. but especially when you're just getting started and you like have no experience dealing with clients and no idea of what to charge or what people are expecting, it's super nerve wracking. Um, but yeah, in, in my experience, at least like the less I charged, the worst, the worst kind of clients I got. Yep, like I, I, I I agree completely. <laughs> yeah, like I remember for probably a year and a half into when I first started doing contracting work, I had a few clients where I was just doing PHP work for like thirty five or forty bucks an hour, which at the time I thought was a decent price because I I wasn't living in uh, New York at the time I was living in Pennsylvania. So my cost of living was way lower. So I was happy with $40 an hour, but the kind of client that I was attracting with that, I was just getting awful kinds of work and just working on code bases that were 10 years old and written in the most horrible spaghetti PHP that I've ever seen. Like some of the worst code bases to this day that I've ever seen. And I did it, but I definitely don't want to do that again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that's the sort of thing where it's it's almost like that's that starts to become your your cushion, at least in in your mind, where you can you can uh, quiet the voices that are saying you shouldn't be charging that much. You're this is really scary. You know, you should be doing something else. By saying, well, well, look, if this doesn't work, we know that that does. You know, that it was awful work, but it it paid. You know, what we needed, whatever. Um, and, and that kind of will let you continue to, to ride the, no, 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 this is the direction I should be going. I should be charging more. I should be looking for different kind of work because that's, what's actually going to lead to me being happier in, in the long run. Yeah. I'm curious the first time that you ever decided to raise your rates, what, what was <laughs> it that led to that decision or what was it that led to that action? The first time I did, it was it was because I was comfortable with the amount of work that I had at the time and the the position I was in. Both just you know, okay, I've got enough you know um, savings in the bank. I've got enough money you know coming in. I've got enough work lined up right now that because the work was not um, get, landing the job was no longer uh, a must have that I said, you know what, let's just do it. Why not go ahead, raise the rate and, and see what happens because why not? You know, you don't need the work. It's whenever I'm desperate for work that the, (laughs) the nerves, uh, jump in and try and say, no, 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 you should lowball it so that you actually get the job. Yeah. So, and how did that end up working out? Did anyone even bat an eye at it? Nope. Nobody even said a word and, yeah. and everything was fine and I was blown away and my rate stayed at that level and continued to, to increase from there because 
it, it's so weird. It's the sort of thing like, and, and I know I've heard this same advice from other people and on other podcasts over the years. And I remember listening to it and thinking, that can't possibly work. But I swear to you, it is almost like magic. It, it Seriously, it works. It does. Just try it. And, and I almost guarantee that most people won't won't bother it won't even notice yeah it i think it just gets back to the fact that like creative work like this isn't a commodity Mm -hmm. like if you're if you're selling a commodity product like mid-grade coffee beans or something and you decide to charge (laughs) double whatever your competitors are that's not going to work but creative work just doesn't behave in that same sort of economic model it's it's like comparing uh bodies behaving according to newtonian physics according to and then comparing those with things behaving according to quantum mechanics. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> They're just two completely yeah, different economic we're, models. We're playing with a completely different set of rules here. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, it's well, And what I think is really interesting about that is you're, you're absolutely right that this, this is not a commodity. You know, this kind of work is different and therefore it plays by a different set of rules. But I think the more time, as time goes by, we're seeing certain aspects of computer programming and web de- design and development in particular become more commoditized like where what kind of things um it's the sort of thing where i'm i'm noticing and i think i was especially um aware of this because of the area where i've where i grew up the area where i started you know working as a web developer uh you know web designer all of that um was an area dominated by the small and low end uh, of that market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really small businesses, almost, you know, micro businesses, extremely small budgets to do any kind of work like this, you know, versus, um, you know, startups, bigger companies, anyone with, you know, like a, a, a healthy and reasonable uh, budget for a, you know, digital products. But instead, the, the opposite of that, where, you know, they saw very little value in digital goods, digital services, and it became a, you know, it was, it was very small budgets to begin with. I'm seeing that market disappear. And it's being filled in with do-it-yourself tools or outsourced things like you were saying, you know, um, you know, rent a coder, Fiverr, whatever, you know, build your website for 20 bucks kind of, kind of thing where they're, they, clients and businesses who never really saw value in the services to begin with and had to be convinced of their value are going elsewhere and that entire market is just it's gone. You as a as a small independent, you know, web developer in this country, you can't make a living servicing those clients anymore. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't even make sense to be a programmer and try to compete with the company that I'll refer to as Rectangle Spot. Because <laughs> um, I mean their tools are super simple to use and if somebody's just looking for like a blog or an e-commerce site, they can get that done on their own for 10 bucks a month and three hours. So there's no reason to hire someone like you or me to actually do it. Yeah. So I I think it totally makes sense to start or that that kind of market would go away. But the, the market of actual programmers and people who are doing more detailed, more, just more difficult work than that is going to stick around because we don't have the kind of automated tools to do that yet. Exactly. And that's, and that's kind of, well, I guess that sort of brings it to what I'm doing for work right now. Um, uh, part of the reason why, you know, my wife and I moved up here is I got a, got a job working at a, at a design agency, uh, that does, 
uh, web design, development, branding, kind of the whole the whole nine yards. Um, and the work that that they kind of hired me on to do was a combination of uh, almost almost like a consulting type position where okay, this is what we've been doing for years. These are the issues that we're running into. How can we change the way we do things to avoid these issues from from continuing to happen? Um, and then in addition, hey, as we get more interesting clients, bigger challenges, different sorts of sites that need to be developed and different sorts of features and, and not the same sort of, you know, fresh out of the box, put a, you know, theme or a template on here and everything, you know, just works. Um, more more challenging uh, projects. Those are the sorts of, of uh, clients and things that, that the company's trying to go after. So they, they want someone to work on those those projects and, and actually be able to do and handle those stranger, um, more out-of-the-box things. Um, so that's that's sort of what, what I'm doing. And it is, at this point, strictly development programming side of things versus my, you know, design uh, background coming into play, really. How do you feel about that, not getting to use your design chops? Um, it's, a, it's a little bittersweet. I, I'd had... Previous positions, uh, or you know, previous jobs that I've had before this current one, um, I also wasn't doing design work. I was doing a lot of, <laughs> I was actually doing a lot of technical support and customer relations, uh, as opposed to even just strict, you know, programming and development work. So I was kind of hungry to get back into design and you know, de- design work, uh, everything that that kind of kind of entails. You know, I always. I always kind of joke that, that, you know, within me I have a different side to my personality that's the artist. And at a certain point, that artistic side just refuses to be ignored <laughs> and just kind of, you know, uh, takes over. And I have to I have to sit down and I have to paint or I have to, to sketch something out or I have to do something artistic um, or I, I lose my mind. It's 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 a little it's a little scary, um, but I, I was definitely ready to do something design related. But this position um, came up and it and it ticked a lot of the boxes and, and let you know my wife and I do a lot of things and and put some plans into motion that we've wanted to do for a while. One of them being to to move and to move up you know into a different area from where we were. So it. It worked, and the more I've gotten into the work and the actual, you know, things that are being done here, the more comfortable I've gotten and the more interested in the various problems um, that need to be solved here. Uh, they, they be, they, they've become more interesting the more I've, I've looked at them. So what is your office environment like? Is it the kind of thing where you're working from home part of the time, or are you in a cube every day, or...? <laughs> it is it is a nine to five office, uh, hmm. which I have not I have not had in quite a few years. Um, that's been that's been a bit of an, an adjustment. Um, one of the reasons why they brought me on they the the company does work with you know freelancers and and other people in you know different parts of the country, different parts of the world. Um, but they really wanted someone who was a developer who had technical experience to be in the office to handle questions and concerns and things from you know clients or whatever they needed someone with technical expertise in-house basically um so there is some limited flexibility in that you know i have worked from home uh you know once a week on occasion 
Um, but it, at this point, it's not anything, you know, regular. Uh, the majority of the job is it's nine to five. It's in an office. It's an open office. So it isn't even really a cube. Um, I have a desk and everyone else has a desk and it's one big room. Um, so it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been interesting <laughs> getting used to it. It's definitely been a, been a change for me. Someone who's, you know, done work from home stuff for yeah, cause many your, years. Your previous gig was work from home, right? Yep. Yeah. Completely work from, work from home, work from the beach, work from the coffee shop, you know, whatever, just have an internet connection, which that's the sort of uh, job that I like the most, uh, the sort of position I like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of making this one work right now. And my hope is that the longer I spend here and the more things that get done um, and the more processes and, and procedures I put in place uh, and kind of change the way that they're doing things, the better the chances will be that I'll be able to have more flexibility in my schedule um, and be able to work from home more than strictly being in the office all the time. Yeah. So, so obviously you prefer working from home. I'm curious though, like it's a little bit different for you since you don't live alone, but how do you think like working from home and being by yourself most of the day versus actually going to, into an office affects things like, like your just overall sanity and productivity and like your work-life balance? Yeah, I think it depends on what the particulars of the job are. Um, I know in a lot of ways, you know, being in an office, being with other people, (laughs) at times being forced to interact with other people Mm -hmm. um, can be really helpful and and can definitely help with, um, you know, preventing yourself from going insane. But I've also noticed the flip side of that in... There's things, and especially like some of the more interesting or challenging um, programming problems that I need to solve or, you know, just, just especially when, when it's programming related things like, you know, I need to figure out how this code is going to work. Not even necessarily like the act of coding it, but more the, the planning process. Like, okay, this is what's going to happen and this is going to work and I'm running through as many conditions as I can you know, ahead of time, and this is a good design, those sorts of things. Um, Personally, I need as much (laughs) silence and separation as I can get um, when I'm working on those things. That's, you know, plug in the headphones, put, uh, you know, some music on that I know really well, and stand in front of the whiteboard and just, just, you know, figure it out. And I love that work. I I really do. Um, But I find that nearly impossible in my current office environment because I'm sitting at a desk. I'm accessible to anyone in the office if they have a question, which they always have a question. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not a do not disturb sort of environment. So I find those more difficult and more challenging things very, very hard to do in that environment. Can you just put on your like noise canceling headphones and tell people that, like, I'm working on a problem. Don't come talk to me for the next hour and a half. I, I can, and I've tried that a little bit so far, and it, it works with, with moderate results. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, uh, you know, it'll sometimes buy me an hour um, or an hour and a half before someone comes to me with something um, that they need to do. Uh, one of the things that I've done at the office is uh, I'll hide out in, like, the conference room, mm-hmm. which has a big whiteboard and, you know, it has a door and is, you know, separate from from everybody else. And that, that doesn't always work because, you know, sometimes obviously people need to use it for 
conference room type purposes. <laughs> but uh, even just adding that extra level of separation where, haha, it is harder for you to find me, so it's harder for you to ask me questions. <laughs> um, that's kind of helped. But it, it's the sort of thing. I, I think it's growing pains and just getting used to, you know, this particular, you know, e- each company, each place that you work is its own unique beast. Um, and you just kind of have to figure out the the ins and outs and, you know, the nuance and, and how things work um, at each place. And and for me, it's, it's really just a matter of, you know, being a little bit more firm in what they're asking of me and what's going to happen, you know, kind of being, being realistic with the timing of things say like, yeah, I can definitely do what you're asking, but I can't do that. Plus three other things today. You get to pick two of those four things. And those are the two things that we'll get done today. (laughs) And that's that. If that's a problem, then we need to address why that's a problem and why there are so many things happening. But it's it's not going to happen. You're going to get two out of those four things, and you can pick. <laughs> pick which two, and then that's what I do. Yeah. At my old office, I think we had a pretty good system going to, I don't know if it solved this problem entirely, but it definitely went a ways to helping it. Um, we just kept, at least on the development team, and somewhat on the other teams as well, with their interface towards the development team, uh, mm-hmm. We just said that the first two hours of the workday, so 8 to 10, unless it's an emergency and, like, the servers are burning down, just do your work and don't talk to anyone. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was an agreed-upon thing where we set out these two hours for focus. If you have questions for somebody, that's fine. Put them in a text file, and then at 10 o'clock, you can ask them. But mm-hmm. don't go and interrupt anyone before that. And then at 10 o'clock, the coffee pot was just about done brewing. We'd have coffee, like, as a team for five or 10 minutes. And then after that, it was pretty much fair game. But mm-hmm. for, as far as like asking questions and interruptions and everything, um, unless like somebody decided to go offline in IRC and put headphones on, which was just kind of a, not a formal signal to not mess with me, but a pretty good social sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah. And, and it's definitely the, the same sort of thing where, you know, putting on headphones is, is a great social sign and it is um, an understood one at, at the office where it's like, okay, he's got his headphones in. That means he doesn't want to be interrupted. Um, yeah. So it With, doesn't necessarily prevent the interruption. The interruption then usually comes via chat. Hey, can I talk to you? Which and is, like, yeah, which is As wild. I look up and you're staring at me, it's like, yes. Which is why <laughs> headphones in our office weren't too much of a sign because most people just wear them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I would have small Apple headphones that I wore most of the time when I was really mm-hmm. trying to focus, I would get out the giant, like over the ear noise canceling, mm-hmm. <laughs> the giant noise canceling, go away phones. The you're um, dead to me phones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a pretty good sign. Um, but for us, it was really like, if you go offline in IRC or sign out of IM, that's a definite sign. Like, just go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if if yeah. you can't get a hold of us via chat, don't bother walking over. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and you know, and I think the one of the things that I've I've kind of set in place from the time that I first started working there, and and that's one of the things that I really do like about the job is everybody there is uh, they're, they're definitely all competent. You know, to the to the point where they're like, okay, look, like this thing or this way that we've been doing things 
isn't necessarily the best, but we haven't come up with anything else. So if you have another idea, let's try that and then proceed. Um, but otherwise, you know, we're just going to keep doing it because that's the habit. Um, but they've been, been pretty great in, you know, like me, an outsider coming in and being like, well, that's broken. That needs to work like this and going, okay, you know, let, let, let's, let's try it like that. Um, and one of the, the prime examples was the way that, um, tech support calls related to email issues were being handled. Um, the guy who did part of, you know, what is now my job before I came there, whenever someone called in with an email issue, they gave him the phone, he talked to the person and usually would spend uh, an hour or two or longer with the person over the phone, figuring out what the email problem was. And, you know, 98% of the time it was an email problem with how they put in their settings and outlook or whatever. Um, but all of a sudden that phone call would jump to the top priority for that person. Um, and they would be, you know, incapable of working on anything else or doing anything else. And, and that was that. Um, and you know, when I started working there, I was like, yeah, that no, nope. Mm -mm, no. If, uh, if someone calls in with an issue, uh, here are some basic things you can try with them over the phone. And probably half the time you're going to solve their issue for them within, you know, 20 minutes by following these things. And if that hasn't solved the issue, uh, write it down, send me a report, and I will get to it when I can. But no, someone does not get to call in and completely blow up my day. <laughs> that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I was just explaining to my friend Ashley uh, yesterday, like my vastly different viewpoint about phone calls than, than she has. Mm, um, this should be interesting. Because I, I wonder if we have the same opinion about phone calls i think i think we do um she was of course of like the normal like good person viewpoint of oh somebody called me i should answer and talk to them um in my viewpoint though that's like completely impolite and disrespectful to just unannouncedly <laughs> call someone and demand their time of them mm -hmm. <laughs> like if if you want to talk to me and you send me a text and say hey is this a good time i need to talk about x for 30 minutes Mm -hmm. that's fine. I'll, I'll answer you and we can talk about that. But if you just presume upon it and call me and expect me to give you that time, that's super impolite in my opinion. Yeah. It, and, and for me, I mean, it's, I, I 100% agree. We are, we are completely on the same page here, even to the point where, um, you know, I, if someone calls me, there's a really good chance I'm not going to pick up the phone, even if I know who they are, mm -hmm. I'm not going to pick up the phone that they're going to, you know, go to voicemail. And if they, you know, want to, to leave a voicemail and explain to me why they were calling. Great. What I absolutely hate are the voicemails that say, Oh, Hey, give me a call back. Oh, those are the worst. <sighs> you've, you've taken this method of transmitting information and you haven't used it. <laughs> exactly. You know, like you get, you get that the, the, the fact that a missed call showed up on my phone implies the fact that you tried to call me and that you would like me to call you back. I'm, I'm assuming since you called me, you want me to call you back. If you don't want me to call you back, leave that in the voicemail. That's helpful. That, or, that's, that's a different kind you, of you know call. Yeah, or you just wouldn't have called me. Exactly. <laughs> There's no one who's going to leave a voicemail. Please don't call me back. Because they just wouldn't now, have called you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, my uh, I, 
we were my wife and I were watching a movie um, recently, and uh, there was uh, it, it, during the movie one character called another, and the other character's voicemail was "Hey, text me," and then beep, you know that, and that was that was their voicemail message, and I laughed hysterically. We were in the movie theater. Um, really, really loud, and I was the only one laughing because I thought that is the greatest voicemail message ever, and I'm going to, you know, now immediately change my voicemail greeting to that because I don't ever want to talk to someone on the phone because when I'm talking to someone on the phone, 100% of my life is talking to you on the phone. Mm-hmm. I can't be doing anything else. I can't be thinking about anything else. I can't be working on anything else or dealing with anything else. If I'm on the phone, I'm on the phone with you. That's it. Yeah, and so I mean, I'm, I'm fine with I'm fine with that. I think that giving somebody my full attention is an okay and acceptable thing. I think that's respectful, but only if it's planned and agreed upon before time. Right. And and I would even go one step further and say the majority of conversations that happen over the phone do not need that sort of 100% attention. I I agree that when I'm talking to someone uh, on the phone that, you know, obviously that's, you know, yeah, I'm giving them 100% of my attention and that's great. That's, that's what you should do when you're talking to someone on the phone. But I think a lot of conversations that, especially people I think who are of a different generation (laughs) than we are, um, they mm-hmm. assume that, yeah, like if I'm going to get in touch with you and I'm not standing in front of you, I'm going to call you. And I would argue, no, if you're not standing in front of me and you want to get in touch with me, the first reaction should be, I'm going to send you a text. That's what I want. I want text-based and most importantly, asynchronous communication with nearly everyone that I need to communicate with. I yeah. want that asynchronous aspect to it. Yeah, ninety ninety five percent of conversations can be handled that way. Mm-hmm. And I'll go a step further too in saying that only send a text if it's something like relatively immediate and ephemeral. Like if if you need to get a hold of me and handle something within like the next ten minutes, a text is a fine way to do that. If it's something though yeah. that's important and maybe it can be handled tomorrow. I don't think that that's the appropriate means of use of a text. I think that that should be something done in email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, and I think what's interesting is that we all have the same sorts of tools, communication tools at our disposal. We have email, we have phones, we have uh, video with, you know, Skype or FaceTime. We have text messages, you know, and then various forms of social media. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so interesting is that Nearly everyone we interact with is accessible through multiple different forms of communication, but there is no real general agreed upon time and method for using each form of communication. It differs wildly from person to person. And I think that's really interesting that even after having something like a telephone, which has been around for over 100 years, there's still not a consistent uniform, this is how this form of communication is used. Um, it's, and, and I think that's interesting. Maybe that's just uh, the nature of forms of communication. Everyone's going to, to treat them differently. Um, but I, I just, I, I think that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. I think it's probably one of those things that on the surface of it seems so simple. No one's ever thought that we should make a formalized system for this. 
or even if somebody has made a formalized system for it, everyone else thinks that it's so simple that making a formalized system is silly. When, it, when in fact, it, it's actually like a fairly complex thing that everyone thinks they know how to do correctly and all of us have different opinions on somehow. Yeah, you know, I mean, back when the only form of communication was, you know, yelling really loud if you were far away or, you know, just talking to someone if you were really close. Um, yeah, okay, that, that may have seemed a little silly. But now, especially in, you know, the digital age, the internet age, where we have so many different forms of communication, I think even just from a personal standpoint, re- reviewing what you use different things for is really, really educational and will help you to refine your system and to make better use of how you use different forms of communication. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious how what you think on this because I have almost an aversion to ever making a decision on the phone. Mm-hmm. Like, I can think of numerous times in the past where I've been on the phone talking to someone and we've made a decision like we're going to do X or we're going to meet up at this restaurant at this time and have dinner. Mm-hmm. I almost inevitably um, insist that that be followed up with some sort of textual communication, either a text or preferably an email or a calendar invite, because it doesn't even seem real to me until that has happened. Yeah, for me, I, f- I find myself um, incapable of making a decision about a thing over the phone. I, yeah. I just can't do it. It's it's too it's it, there's way too much pressure, yeah, and, just, and I know that's all contrived, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that someone asked me to make a decision while I'm on the phone, and it's like all of a sudden I'm the center of attention on you know a game show or something, and I've got three seconds to you know and it's just it's terrifying. It's it's just awful. Yeah. I, I become completely paralyzed. Even just something as simple as me talking to my friend and saying, Hey, do you want to get ramen next Wednesday evening? And like us agreeing to do that. It just doesn't even seem like that really exists until that's been followed up with a Google calendar invite and it exists on both of our calendars. Yeah. It's the sort of thing where like, if you propose that to me, I would say, uh, yeah, let me think about it. I'll look at my calendar and I'll get back to you. Like, even Mm -hmm. if you almost like insisted like, Oh, we'll check your calendar now. Uh, no, I'll, I'll do that. You know, I will do almost anything in my power to not have to make the decision on the phone. Yeah, it's it like it. It needs some sort of like future referenceable proof that this actually happened. I need I need this entered into the record, please. Exactly, like <laughs> the record. <laughs> I I have no reason to doubt that I'm having this conversation with my friend right now. But somehow I do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, it's, it's eyewitness testimony. I can't. I can't trust it. No, I can't trust my own testimony. That's insane. Oh, 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 down low, down low.